baby, have you ever wondered, wondered about the bag of milk? You cut the bag and wondered with a snipper, and if that sounds weird then baby you ain't for me. Percent and even chocolate. Sorry, sorry. Well, Feist, thank you very much for that great version, the WKRP version of the Bag of Milk podcast theme song. And I was just wondering where you got the inspiration for this week's version of the theme song. Well, Will, as you know, we have a very special guest for our uh, 10th episode today, Dave Bedini, the founder of the legendary Canadian band, The Rio Statics. Now, The Rio Statics are big fans of WKRP in Cincinnati, the seminal television show of the 1980s. And uh, I thought it fitting to, uh, you know, do a version, a rendition of the WKRP theme song as our bag of milk theme song. So I hope Dave likes it. Dave Bedini, hell of a guest, as smart as a whip. He has written numerous books from everything on hockey to travel. He runs a newspaper in Toronto, the West End Phoenix, a local newspaper. Again, he's a hell of a musician, just a a true, easily probably the most uh, intelligent voice we've had on this podcast since it started. I would agree. And I mean, that that includes us, but that's not hard to be more intelligent than us. But seriously, no. I, I've been a fan of of uh, Dave and the Real Statics for years. Saw them numerous times in the '90s, and it was recently in 2019 when they got back together. But um, you know, the Real Statics are a, a well known band as being one of the most Canadian bands of all time, and certainly, uh, you know, it was great uh, being able to talk to Dave and ask him some questions, and uh, it was fantastic of him to uh, give us his time to be able to uh, you know interview him today how the hell did we get dave bedini to come on this podcast i i'm not sure how did you get brian cranston to do a promo for the podcast i mean really touche will touche how did we get to 10 episodes <laughs> <laughs> but really it was a great episode and i really hope that people enjoy it if you're looking for more information on the real statics you know uh, go online. You could follow Dave on Twitter. Um, his Twitter handle is hockey-esque. And again, he's really a, a fantastic person. And uh, I've read a number of his books and I can't even read. So, I mean, that says a lot. That does. So I hope everyone enjoys this special 10th episode of the Bag of Milk podcast. And the Dave Bedini interview, which is awesome. And here it goes. All right. We're here with our guest, Dave Bedini, who is a writer, musician, uh, newspaper publisher, and uh, we certainly do appreciate him taking the time out to give us a bit of his time to answer some questions. And uh, obviously, he's he's pretty busy, but thanks again, Dave. Appreciate that you're here. Yeah, um, yeah of course. My pleasure. It's uh, nice to meet you guys. Cool. And uh, Fies is here. Fies is in uh, lovely Orlando. Uh, what's the weather like today? It's freezing. It's like 86 yeah. today. <laughs> well, it's about 86 well you know 28 29 here in ontario so uh, it's always back to the weather yes it always back to the weather so um well i will start off dave um basically like we've talked about or let you know our podcast is 
really kind of focused on the whole Canadian American experience, you know, with a bit of a comedic slant. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, obviously being a musician, you've, you've toured, you know, in Canada and the States and you've had some, some different experiences. What, what would you say is the big difference between playing, you know, Canada and the U S well, we most, I mean, uh, most of my experience, like truthfully in, in playing in the States is, is playing in New York. Okay. Um, and New York isn't really America. I'm, New York is New York, right? It's, it's, it's its own, it's its own nation in so many ways. So it's really hard for me to kind of, I mean, I've played Toledo, Ohio, you know, and, and, um, and the city's, you know, close, closer to the border, I suppose, but down through there. Um, and, uh, you know, so I've had the privilege of playing to no one in both places. And I, I must say they're, they're the same. (laughs) So, um, you know, uh, I, I, there isn't really, been, like, I haven't, with the exception of New York, just kind of throwing that out and placing that over there. I don't, I haven't, I don't think there are really that many differences. I think, especially with us too, you know, um, the people that would come to those shows, uh, you know, in the early days here and, and in the early days there were, were pretty much there because they were into weird music, you know, um, music that was a little bit different. I mean, we did some shows in the States with um, Eric's trip and the inbreds. And it was just a, that was such an interesting bill and the people that were there really, really liked it, but you know, it certainly wasn't, um, you know, uh, those shows were from a, from, from a distance would have appeared to be really unsuccessful because there weren't a lot of people. So if you go into a small town in the States and you'd, you'd have the, you know, the handful of people that really were interested in weird Canadian bands. <laughs> but so it's hard to, for me to really measure. I mean, you know, people always say that, you know, American audiences are more boisterous and ready to go right from the beginning. But the same is true of audiences in Newfoundland, right? So I, I always have, I, I've, I have to be careful, you know, generalizing, I think a little bit about it, audiences in general. I mean, I remember playing and touring in Finland, you know, and going going across the the country. And fin- the the first handful of audiences that we played for in Finland were really really timid, and in fact would like you know scrape their chairs back if you got a little bit close to them, you know, mm-hmm. off the stage. Like they were really really reluctant to engage, you know, in any way. And then I ended up in um, Yonsu, which is Eastern Finland, which is close, it's the closest town to Russia. It's right, it's right out in that area. And the crowds were just out of their minds. Like they were so quote unquote kind of unfinished, but they were just like came from a different part of Finland where there was a bit more of a Russian influence, I think, on their culture. And the so there were vodka soaked. They were everything <laughs> soaked. They drank the weirdest, they had the weirdest like moonshine drink that they would bring out in the middle, like at the end of the night, it was like this liquid, it was like a hot liquid bacon kind of, it had the weirdest, (laughs) it had the weirdest taste. It was not pleasant, but it was, everybody drank it. And, uh, 
it was just in case you weren't drunk enough at three o'clock in the morning. This this would just make sure you were. So um, now we should mention yeah. that uh, uh, Dave Bedini is the or was the lead guitarist slash rhythm guitarist for the Rio Statics, the, correct? Yeah, rhythm. No, not the lead guitarist. The rhythm I'm guitarist. Not, I'm, yeah, that's right. And the uh, Rio Statics were a well-received Canadian band, very popular, uh, opened up for the Tragically Hip on a on a tour, I think back in 97. And um, Dave, I have a question kind of related to what you were talking about. Um, I mean, for me, the Rio Statics touched on two cultural phenomena close to my heart, WKRP in Cincinnati, as evidenced in your song, uh, The Tarlicks. And the group of seven, the eclectic, modernist, romantic, uh, landscape artists. I always kind of, always felt there was a close relationship between painting and music. Many, many artists, many artists that I knew liked to paint. After they got the composition started, they liked to play Good music. Question is this. So many Canadian artists and filmmakers and authors, be it you or the Rio Statics or the Tragically Hip or the Bag of Milk podcast even, um, were kind of like rooted in a sort of like this quirky, weird aesthetic that you were referring to. So are Canadians more open to embracing quirky things or do we have a quirky gene? I mean, I think, um, yeah, I think uh, with with fewer people and greater distances between cities and um you know uh like a lot of make your own fun kind of towns you're told less how to be i think um there's less pop there's all there was always less popular culture in canada and certainly always um uh, less canadian popular culture and you know, often we were told how to be by other, by the culture of other places, whether it was in the, you know, earlier days, the United Kingdom, and then certainly pervasively by, by the state. So you kind of have to forge your own identity a little bit against that. And the identity that emerges is one that's unique to us. And, you know, I think that kind of the grand sort of populist ideas of how to be culturally had already sort of been been slathered like across our classrooms and our televisions and our radios that to sort of um, find our own space meant to carve something carve an identity a cultural identity that was a little bit more unusual now that said i mean i think at one level there are forces in the country that really wanted us to be more like the other stuff right to who 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 used American and British cultural influences to design how we were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But I think the artists, you know, whether it's the comedians or the painters or the um, podcasters or the writers, certainly, (laughs) certainly the pod, the podcasters in recent times um, wanted to carve something that was a little bit more unusual because they were able to able to kind of occupy that space. I think, you know, it definitely is something that we hold on to. And and maybe some of those shows, you know, in the States where, uh, um, I know Faya is where he is, where if he sees like a Canadian band coming or or something that's he's interested that maybe he misses from home, he's going to probably jump all over it. I don't know if you can say if you have any plans for the band, for any tours. 
Um, I booked a show for October 23rd. Um, so realistically, I think it would be great. I think that will, I think that will happen. Um, Will's going to be there in the front row. Well, good. He will be shirtless though. Yeah. It's all right. That's what's it. It's a, it's a shirtless friendly experience. Don't worry. Sure. Okay. I mean, the pandemic, it's been all about shirts. So we have to move past that. I think. Yeah. (laughs) Now is this, is this something coming up that's uh, promoting um, the West End Phoenix, or is it? Yeah, it's be- a big, it's a big musical fundraiser that we tried to have last year. It's a recreation of the Wembley set of Live Aid, and it's a, the 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 promotion. The fundraiser is called News Aid, so awesome. we'll have like 30, 30 plus people um, recreating that experience and that set. Um, so we tried to, yeah. So that's that's the plan for for late October to do that. Um, we had people had asked us about doing some summer shows but that was a while that was a few months ago and i think it was a little premature and it is premature um but i think you know listen once the world opens we'll rush into it you know i mean we're all ready to go so you know we've been on a chain for uh 14 months and then i think it's going to be glorious really when when that happens any dates planned for the u.s nope nothing uh I mean, I, I personally would like to go to Buffalo to see the Jays play, but um, <laughs> I know. Uh, or maybe even the Leafs. We'll see. But um, no, I know nothing, nothing yet. Fias won't let me talk about sports too much, but um, I did. Uh, I did have to uh, say some uh, unprofessional words to him last night after the game. Not that he was, you know, he's not a Leafs fan, but he doesn't take it quite as seriously as I do, in which I shouldn't, but I do, unfortunately. So. I hear you. I mean, I still invest invest in it heavily, and I, you know, so much. T- I spend so much time, you know, following the team, and 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 in past years, certainly writing about the team and mm-hmm. and all that, writing books about the team and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think this postseason is exceptional because you know, yesterday was funny in, in our city, you know, um, because there was there was news hear about you know a, a very cogent elusive plan from the um elusive and incoherent ford government about <laughs> about steps the province is going to take to to open things up and it and it was such great news and it pointed to a great a great potentially a great you know um uh reopening and restabilizing of our of our lives that the leafs you know um losing their captain and and losing the game last night. I mean, really, it, 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 all sports should sort of be set against that, you know, sense of realism. You know, sports is such fantasy, right? So mm-hmm. after last night, like I was with a few friends in my friend's backyard watching the game. It was a beautiful summer night. You know, we we can see Gus getting our second doses soon. It's like I felt just really good about being alive, honestly. And mm-hmm. so the so the impact of that that game last night really it's kind of ran just right straight down my back and off of it because yeah. um we're walking around living and breathing and and um and that's important yeah. does that does that make you feel better will yeah 
<laughs> I uh, I had a hard time with it last night, but I'm I'm better this morning. So, so we should mention for our American listeners that the the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs are are playing in the NHL playoffs. Game one was last night, and the Leafs lost a heartbreaking uh, game to the Canadians, and they lost their captain. So, both Dave and Will being hard hardcore Leafs well, fans. I'm a Leafs fan. They are. The- uh, yeah, first time in 42 years, too. That's something to remember as well. Like, these are the two as biggest hockey markets in the world. Correct. And um, and they haven't met for over four decades. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a series that everybody in the country is probably watching. So now, speaking of hockey, you know, you've, uh, you've visited China and the United Arab Emirates and played hockey in those countries countries and there's this old trope that canadians are more patriotic outside of canada than when they're in canada um did you feel like you had to play an almost ambassadorial role when you were visiting these countries i mean i i i disappointed teams the world over because they the rumor would rumor would reach them that the canadian was coming to play with them and um then they got a look at me you know (laughs) and it was like oh geez (laughs) <laughs> we really thought we really thought you'd be better than that, but you were the only Canadian to suit up for that uh, Russian junior team ever, isn't that true? Uh, a Russian national team, like Russian an, an old timers team. Yeah, that's right. I, uh, yeah, we we've been a been to Russia three times and and twice for hockey, but um, yeah, this one game was uh, we were we were sent to interview. It was for a hockey a hockey documentary, hockeyumentary if you will, um, the hockey nomad goes to Russia, the second one. And we, um, I had to go to interview, interview, um, the, an aging Russian veteran of the 1972 series, Yuri Blinov, the Bleener, we nicknamed him. And, uh, <laughs> we were at, we were at his small, small, hot, hot apartment, um, in Moscow. And, um, oh, I think he had like 14 cats and I'm allergic to cats, but I, I fought <laughs> through it and I did the interview and then we got a call. We've been chasing down um, a skate in the Moscow suburbs um, that was attended by and run by veterans, uh, Russian soldiers who had fought in the um, Afghanistan war. And we finally, finally made contact with them. Our fixer did and said, there's a game at 11 o'clock tonight. You know, um, you can go and play. So uh, I was like, I can't breathe because I'm asthmatic and cats. And I was like, and they were like, but Dave, this is our only chance. So uh, we went straight from Bleeners to um, this arena and I went in there and I got my stuff on. It was interesting. Like as we were getting changed, um, I saw these dudes get their, you know, out of their shirts, shirtless again for you there, Will. And um, (laughs) they all had these very, very crude, 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 like tattoos, you know, that they'd all given them each other in the war. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, they were serious. These were seriously hard hard guys and but fucking great guys but um so we ended up playing first couple of shifts i could barely breathe and i got to the bench and one of the guys big guy sitting next to me said uh have you played games since you were baby and i said <laughs> yeah yeah i've been playing all my life and he said then why are you so bad <laughs> which is a classic case of just the Russian frankness. like they'll And then you okay. whacked him in the head with a stick. Exactly. No, I was, so I had a terrible skate. And then afterwards um, it was great. They, I realized it, I, they got to turn it around a little bit because they got to um, make fun of the Canadian guy. Right. So that was mm-hmm. my gift. That was my gift to them. Basically. 
Nice. Is it mock me? <laughs> I was given the gift of mockery. And honestly, though, we became lifelong friends with those guys. So, and they even said to me, if you ever get in trouble here, we will protect you. Like, just call us. Don't worry. And they were all, you know, in my, in the movie, um, Misha is one of the stars of the movie and he was, uh, fought in the war. And, uh, he told me, you know, uh, he learned how to roll a joint in the army and he came back and, uh, and he was, he was, um, out of the army for like two weeks and he was walking to a, a bar. It was like, it was 91, 89, 90. And he was walking to a bar with a couple of ladies. Oh, I think coming home from a bar with a couple of ladies and the cops stopped him and started harassing him. And he nearly, he beat, beat one of the cops within an inch of his life. And they, uh, they threw him in prison. He was in jail for three years. So he was in Russian jail for three years. And he came out of that, like he's, he's in rough shape, but he survived it. Right. So, so, um, we bonded with quite, we bonded with him. And, you know, I remember being in the dressing room and asking him if he had any Dichka, which is the Russian slang for pot. Mm-hmm. And he made a call and within five minutes, a boy showed up. A boy, like a seven-year-old with a flat of Heineken tall boys and a bag of weed. And um, it's one of the highlights of my cinematic career is that that footage of him rolling this this boner, uh, you know, this giant, giant penis-length joint in the, uh, in the dressing room in, in Russia. It was a pretty amazing experience. So, yeah, so Canadians abroad. I mean, we travel well, right? Like, I mean, I think we have a good, I think we have a good, good spirit i think we're good guests like it's important to be a good host but we're good guests i think and you my friend are a hell of a raconteur why thank you our first russian weed story hey Jorge. he's coming to your town hey Jorge. he never wears a frown hey Jorge. he's as happy as can be because all of russia is Jorge's family hey Jorge. You know, touching on that, you know, you think you describe your ethic or certainly that of the uh, real statics as dogmatically Canadian, I think. And and I think you've explored the notion of what it means to be Canadian. And I started thinking about new Canadians and mm-hmm. even yes. non-white Canadians and wanted to ask, how, how do you relate through your music and writing to these Um At the paper, I think that's probably, you know, I can probably tie it to that experience a little bit more because... Oh, and we should mention that Sorry. you run the West End Phoenix, right. which is a uh, local uh, newspaper in the uh, covering the West End of Toronto, That's and right. it's a print publication, yep. correct? That's right. Yep. Yeah, home delivered monthly, and um, you know, in order for us to create a newspaper that reflected our communities, it was important, and it has been important, and we still have a shitload of work to do but it was important to to create a paper that reflected you know the nature of our neighborhoods right and you know the uh, people of color and racialized communities are you know are the majority of those who live 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 in our cities right like i think 51 percent of people of uh are, are of, uh have been born elsewhere or parents uh who were born elsewhere so um that's allowed us to allowed me to um to uh you know work in in an orbit where it's a lot of people that don't look like me and people have different experiences and um so it's been it's been great to to you know be able to to live in that world and live in their world a little bit and learn from them and learn from their experiences and 
you know, make room for them to, you know, for, for, for stories unlike mine to be told in the paper and stuff. So, you know, with even, but, but even somebody was saying last night and, you know, um, I wasn't aware of this or even conscious, conscious of this when I wrote my second book, which was Tropic of Hockey. But the interesting thing about Tropic of Hockey was, you know, it was probably the first book, hockey book that was largely in which the subjects were largely non-white, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of the stories in there about uh, playing hockey in the desert, you know, playing with the Arab kids um, and going across China is another large section of that. And then I was in Transylvania as well. But um, so I'm proud of that, that, you know, that those books weren't just Johnny Frozen Pond, you know, they were about, they were, they were about um, other ethnicities and other cultures and stuff too. So, you know, the rheostatics, you know, were, were white, were a bunch of white guys making weird music. Um, I think music finds fans no matter what color you are, for sure. It's one of the great things that mm-hmm. art is like that too, in general and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, it was good to be able to do that in other, other elements of my creative life. Fies is, um, uh, as a person of color, is also um, making the game of hockey in Orlando uh, a little bit more accessible to the regular people. Isn't that true, Fias? Well, yeah, and it's, it's back to the whole point where, you know, Canadians are more patriotic outside of Canada when they're in. So I feel, I mean, honestly, I feel I really got in touch with my Canadianness when I left Canada. I mean, I started... I started this weekly street hockey league that Will is referring mm-hmm. to. Uh, you know, started. I watched more Canadian TV films, read more books, and 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 I write I write restaurant reviews for the Orlando Weekly, and I even started making Canadian references in my restaurant reviews, knowing that most of the readers wouldn't wouldn't get it. But in a sense, I I didn't want them to get it. I wanted them to sort of. Um, research that particular reference and and just learn a, a little bit more about I don't know the elements of Canadiana. Um, I felt that was important, and I don't know if that came from a place where uh, you know we're in there's an inferiority complex sort of place, or whether I'm just staunchly and proudly Canadian. Maybe I'm still trying to figure that out. Have you used the verb Vesta Luncheon yet to describe a clubhouse sandwich that you've? samples <laughs> in florida so, will now only because i haven't had a clubhouse sandwich uh, in, in quite a okay. while <laughs> i'm writing well, it down that's gonna be a, uh, something you have to work Sh- towards shopsies yeah. shopsies esque people you know you oh shopsies esque that's another Shopsies-esque. good one dave oh. good one my my Jeez. pleasure that brings up memories yeah so i mean i think i think there's an element to that and all the other canadians who are here with me are, I don't know, we're just kind of like band together and we found each other in some sort of magnetic fashion, you know, and we hang out with each other or at least once a week we do. And we just get in touch with our, I don't know, our Canadianness. And like I said, I'm not sure if that is a, a coming from a place of inferiority or, or a place of pride. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down at the big lake they call Gitchagumi. Fias knows, and everybody knows, my wife bugs me about all the time, being from Aurelia, obviously, I have to be a big Gordon Lightfoot fan. You are, because you wrote a book called Writing Gordon Lightfoot. What do you think that um, Lightfoot has had that's appealed to not just people in Canada, but people in, you know, in the U.S. and around the world, uh, still after, you know, many, many years? Um, yeah, that it, that is true. What's interesting about Lightfoot, I think, in a way, is that you're right, he was... He did become, um, and this is a hard trick to 
pull off, but he was able to become popular in the United States, um, despite actually like not moving to the United States, which which is what Joni and mm-hmm. the band and, and Neil Young did before him. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he lived in he lived in Detroit too. He had a place there in the late sixties and seventies. But um, you know, uh, he also his he came up at a time when you know whether it was Bob Dylan or John Prine or you know that 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 great sweep of songwriters um it, you know there was just there was a a place for them on on the radio you know like uh, uh in popular music and uh he was able to i mean it didn't didn't hurt that you know Elvis and Dylan would cover his songs and stuff too but um so I don't think I don't think necessarily that people are drawn to him because of his Canadianness or whatever, but um, and certainly like Canadian Railroad trilogy isn't really isn't the song that he's known for. I mean, Requiem of Fitzgerald, I guess, is the one that really um, people are you know, or, or if you could read my mind as well, there are the big songs that people in the states know. But um, yeah, that that um, that uh, the ability to to become a popular figure in American music, despite not really being down there, um, is an incredible achievement for him. Mm-hmm. And of course, the to me, the real statics version of Wreck of the Emmett Fitzgerald is the only, the only cover that I would listen to just because it, I mean, it captures some of the original, but it also is unique. We, um, yeah, we, I mean, we, the, fir- well, the first b- sort of big trip we ever took was, um, uh, really out of town before we toured was Thunder Bay. And we almost like, I'd say we booked that we booked that trip to Thunder Bay almost like to rehearse touring kind of, you know, to know what it was like to be away to play. And we learned that version because we were going to Thunder Bay, right? Because that's right on superior there. And um, <clears throat> when we, uh, the tragically, he mentioned the hit before their album live live between us, live between us. Um, which was recorded at Cobo Hall, um, that at that concert, you know, we opened that show, we opened that tour, and at that concert, we decided to play Wreck of the Emmett Fitzgerald. I mean, as an opening band, you're given 40 minutes, you know, which is quite a generous amount of time because they're generous individuals, but they give us 40 minutes, and so it's really not the smartest thing to use 15 minutes of that on a single song but and we weren't planning to but our bass player and singer who sings that song tim vesley he uh was wandering around cobo hall before the show and he saw that the maritime sailors museum was right there in detroit uh, and um he thought wow we're so close to that place we should probably honor honor that and honored the sailors by doing that song and boy it was just Playing that song in that in that venue too, Cobo Hall, one of the famous rock venues of all time. I mean, uh, the Yes Live album, the Kiss Live album, constant Grand Funk. They'd all been recorded in that room, a great room, and that song sounded so great and probably the best reception of, by an opening uh, by a crowd for for our our opening set. We had that tour was there, um, and wow. uh, yeah, so that that playing that song, yeah, really. Um, means a lot and and we were you know we wanted it to we wanted it to sound like like a shipwreck like we really wanted you to to hear the hull kind of being torn apart you know gourd's version is amazing it's gourd's it's his but it doesn't really 
you're not terrified by it. I mean, the words are terrifying, but you're not, you know, it doesn't sound terrifying. And that's what we wanted to sort of try to do with our version. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they called Gitchigumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead. When the skies of November turn gloomy. Well, I definitely captured that. He hated it, but whatever. He hates hated everything. <laughs> Fias, uh, so we don't run too late. Why don't you um, see if you can ask Dave some of those questions for our uh, celebrity fantasy battle? Yeah, I know we're running short on time, Dave, but uh, you know, you're a, you're a man of music, a man of letters, a man of sport, even. Will and I, well, you know, we're mans of leisure. And this podcast is pretty much a testament to that. But uh, anyway, one of our regular se uh, segments is a celebrity fantasy battle. And this week, we thought we'd pit characters from two of your favorite TV shows, WKRP in Cincinnati and SCTV. And so we just wanted to get your take on who would win between these two characters. So you ready to play this? Sure am. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. All right, so in our first celebrity fantasy battle, we have WKRP newsman Les Nessman versus SCTV news anchor Earl Camembert. Turning to sports. <laughs> Winner of this week's Gulf Coast Golf Classic was Chai Chai Rodriguez. <laughs> Chai Chai finished with a nine under par score. Chi Chi Rodriguez. Mr. Rodriguez will play up to Parents will be glad to know that Tootsie Rolls are as good today as they were 30 years ago. Just this afternoon, while preparing this newscast, this reporter got an attack of what is commonly known as the munchies and decided to nip downstairs to the cafeteria before it closed. As usual, I bought a Tootsie Roll, and as usual, I was not disappointed. In my opinion, it is one of the most delicious and satisfying snacks available. Guaranteed goodness, and that's something worth knowing. Lloyd? Oh, we're all can bear win that fight, I think. Why is that? Uh, I think he would fight dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, um... Floyd Robertson would fight dirty. I think I, mm. I, there was like, and also I must say like with Eugene Levy's characters too, mm -hmm. there is like a brooding intensity, like, un, you know, that's sort of at the, that's layered in there too. Like when, when, when Earl, Earl would lose his shit, he would really lose his shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, less is more just a sad, a sad figure. I don't think. <laughs> I don't even think Les would show up for the boat. <laughs> Excellent. I think I would agree, too. Earl Camembert takes okay. it. Okay, our second battle. We have WKRP general manager Arthur Carlson versus <laughs> SCTV president Guy Caballero. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. I think uh, television should be entertaining. In fact, I don't even think that television should be entertaining all the time. Often I'll prefer a show that just makes me feel tired and, and I'll be able to go to sleep after watching and get a good decent night's rest and then when I wake up I, I feel nice and refreshed in the morning ready to start a new day <laughs> that's not appropriate <laughs> come on uh, 
Yes. Oh my God, Dave, you're so Canadian. <laughs> uh, I think you'd have to go with uh, good old Gordon Gordon Jump there. I think he was. Uh, is that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Name. yeah. You got it. What a name. Um, oh yeah, he's a big. Yeah, he, he looked like he played football in high school and stuff too. Plus, his name is Gord. We have affinity for that name, Gord. Yeah, 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 okay. and uh, yeah, and I don't think I don't think that's appropriate. I don't think you can. <laughs> fight a guy in a wheelchair but anyways it's your show I don't man know. I, I think i would have picked guy caballero on that one he would have just run him over with those big wheelchair wheels but don't right. forget okay. he he only used that wheelchair for respect he actually didn't oh that's true yeah, too yeah that's a good that. point that's yeah. okay all right good point that's true our our final <laughs> I'm still going battle. i'm still going court jump yeah okay now our final battle we have wkrp receptionist Jennifer Marlowe, played by Lonnie Anderson, versus SCTV diva actress singer Lola Heatherton, played by <laughs> Catherine O'Hara. Would you like to see the big guy? The big guy? The skipper, the chief, the head honcho, the jerk who runs this place. <laughs> I love you, Sammy Baldwin. I want to bury our children. Boy, so good, both of them. Um, no, I mean Lonnie's a she's she's a big figure, man. Like she she was tall, like super tall. Uh Mm-hmm. probably a little bit ripped like strong arms and stuff mm-hmm. um high heeled you know yeah well the heels could be weaponized for yeah. sure um <laughs> lola you know kind of a little strung out yeah no i don't think i think lola be, would be crushed by the great lonnie i really do lonnie would crush most of us let's face it yeah yeah well i think lonnie you know she spent a lot of time with bert in the early 80s so she probably she was, held her um, own yeah yeah she had yeah, I'm. I surprised you didn't include Herb Tarlick in that, uh, in oh. that, uh, in that pack. Let's go um, for it. Let's go for it. WKRP salesman Herb yeah. Tarlick. Yes. Versus, let's see, Edith Prickley, station manager <laughs> of of SCTV. Where'd you get a jacket like that? I mean, do they sell them somewhere? <laughs> of course they sell them somewhere. Where? <laughs> I tell you, you tell somebody else, and pretty soon the whole world is dressing like me. Hello, ladies. Prickly again. You know, every meal can be a picnic if you just get off your buns and get back in the kitchen where you belong. <laughs> Shit. Prickly was a... She was a... She was a... a tub, they, yeah. They both dress very loudly. Yeah. That's a. That's almost a saw-off, I think. You know? Um, it's a tie like Vietnam okay yeah. um uh, uh frank i don't know andrea martin i know a bunch of those other guys well of course you know frank bonner when you did the video so frank yeah we, our, our song is the tarlicks it's about um it's about a world that where salesmen uh where we're kind of crazed robotic salesmen take over the world um and uh when we first approached uh uh frank about it um he wasn't going to do it and then he played the song to his kids and his kids said dad like this is actually a really cool song (laughs) so the thing is no when he came showed up to to do our video he hadn't worn the plaid um blazer since the last time they filmed the last episode of wkrp so it was beautiful to be at the moment be there at the moment where he slipped that jacket on wait a minute and, that was and, the same jacket he wore on the tv show yeah he saved, oh, he yeah. saved his oh, clothes wow. yeah oh he had a bunch of them yeah oh. no, he, he 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 i think he kept like two or three from the show and he brought them up 
And so, oh yeah. And he, he, he also was like, I don't know if I'm going to fit into these, but he's still looked the same. And so he put the blazer on and he transformed into her, but it was great. What an, what an interesting guy. And, and um, I, I've lost co- correspondence with him, but we were, we kept in touch a lot after that. He's a big, um, big St. Louis Cardinals fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we talked a lot about base, baseball and stuff, but he told me that um, he was doing a play in LA and he was, his character was, he was playing a, 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 a Welshman. It was, it was like a, the play was set uh, around like a minor strike in Cardiff. And so he learned the Welsh accent and he played a really like, you know, uh, really like a rough dude, like a hard guy. And um, after one of the performances, these two uh, producers came up to him and said, uh, so we have the show. Uh, we need somebody to play like kind of this uh, leathery, um, you know, uh, uh, salesman, this greasy kind of salesman for this radio station. Uh, we'd, we'd love if you get if you would audition. And, and he looked at him and said, like, how did you get that? from that <laughs> like that was like what typecast <laughs> right um and uh and the rest as they say is history how did so, so um, was he was he a fan of the rio statics how did you even no. approach him to like we, do this video <laughs> you know we got we got him through his manager or his agent and got the idea in front of him and he was like I'm retired. Why would I do that? And then he was he was telling his kids about it over dinner one night, and they were like, "Well, just play us the tune, Dad." And he played them our song, and his kids were like, "Dad, you'd be you'd be crazy not to do this." And so, uh, awesome. but it's that funny. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. I remember meeting him for the first time and kind of going like, "Oh, how's this guy gonna pull it off?" Because he didn't <laughs> really look like he didn't really look like. I'm, I was such an idiot. I thought like this guy doesn't look like Herb Tarling at all. But of course he's a human who's not. That's a fictional character, Dave. Yeah. But uh, he was great, and like also one of those guys too that was really, you know, forthcoming. Like he forthcoming with all the stories too, which was really, I really appreciated that. You know, he wasn't. Uh, yeah, he wasn't uh, withdrawn about any of that and stuff too. So I had to get a good time and got paid and. And is in the video, so we'll have to have well. you back for our all herb tarlic okay. episode and yeah. get all those get all those crazy stories from you. But uh, well, that's great. Maybe if we get up to like two hundred episodes, we can get Frank to come on the show. But I don't know; it might uh, might be tough. So. Well, I don't know if he. I, now he was from Arkansas originally, and I think he might have gone back there. But maybe, yeah. but I don't know. But um, the Ozarks. He would say like he would say stuff like. Oh, I would look out my window and there'd be Bill Clinton will be walking home from like some tryst he just had with the neighborhood. And I was like, it wow. was probably all fucking bullshit, but whatever. But they were they were good. They were good stories. They were good. Yeah, he wasn't surprised when all that stuff happened about Bill Clinton. He was like, oh, of course, that's the guy I knew. They both grew up together in uh, in Little Rock. So, oh wow, yeah. Well, the uh, Tarlicks was kind of what uh, gave Fies the idea for the whole WKRP. Uh, Great. Theme. So it all worked out, which is fantastic. Came full stop. Yeah, that's right. You haven't heard it yet, uh, Dave, but uh, we did a special WKRP themed theme song for the Bag of nice. podcast yeah. for this episode. Love so it. when Excellent. we go live, it's just, we'll be sure to. It's just climbing up the charts. The uh, theme songs Fies does. It's amazing. Well, you know, you know, uh, Dave, and in, in their live performance of uh, Grace Two, the tragically hip, uh, and Gore Downing in particular. Anyway, he said that about the Rio Statics that we're all richer for having seen them tonight. And you I can did? safely say, yeah, I can safely say wow. that. Wow, yeah, 
I can safely say that Will and I and our scores of listeners uh, are richer for having you on the podcast today. So really, thank you so much for being with us. Right on, guys. Uh, keep those bag of milks filled to the brim. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Wow, that Dave Bedini, what what a guess, what a smart, smart guy, and well-traveled, so knowledgeable on so many topics, and man, that was that was a great interview, I think, Will. I think so, too, and you know, it really touched on many themes that this podcast is all about, you know, the Canadian-American experience, the American-Canadian experience, the Canadian-American-Canadian -Canadian experience, and, you know, the good, nice... Oh. The nice, so good. many experiences. It really, yeah. And was was I in the interview? Was I part of that? Oh, you were. You were fanboying a little oh, bit. I think I was. I think I may have uh, actually uh, gone into a sort of a bit of a coma. So, <laughs> a delicious, a delicious coma. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we recorded it so I can relive those memories forever. No, but seriously, Dave, thank you so much for doing this. It, it was awesome. And I think, honestly, I think our podcast is is richer now after having him on it. Don't you think? I'm richer, you know? Yeah. I think I am. Yeah. Are you richer? Yeah, as long as you give me 50%. Remember, we're partners 50% in this. 50% of what we're making, which is 50% mm. of, wait, I can't do math. Either way, it's in Canadian dollars. Oh, that's true. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And as usual, please check us out on Anchor or Apple Podcasts. Visit us at bagofmilkpodcast.com. Sign up for the email updates. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your cat. Tell your postman. Do they still have them? Uh, tell everyone. We're going to end this episode with a little clip from the Rheostatic song, The Tarlicks, which is the song that expired. Sorry, not expired. The song that <laughs> inspired. This whole episode. I mean, this episode may have expired, but... If you keep um, going on, I'm no. going to expire. Okay. But thanks for listening. And uh, sorry. Sorry. The Tarlicks came from the west they grooved. 